I was recently rereading one of my favorite books by Donald Whitney entitled The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And if you've never read that book, get it, read it. It's an excellent book. But uh, in it, Whitney talks about a painful childhood memory that he had at his birthday party when he turned 10 years old. At this party, his parents allowed him to invite eight friends over from school to the house for games, cake, and ice cream and presents. So the eight boys came over that afternoon, and like little boys do, they got out in the yard and they played football and they played basketball until it was dark. And then his parents cooked out hot dogs and hamburgers on the grill. They had cake and ice cream and presents and, and were just having a great time. And up to this point... Whitney mentions this was turning out to be one of the best and most memorable birthdays that he'd ever had. And after they were finished with presents, all the boys loaded up into a station wagon, into their parents' station wagon, and went to the uh, local gym for a basketball game. And Whitney says, shortly after entering the game, this great birthday soon became one of his worst. And the reason why is because those eight boys that were with him all went their own way to sit with their own friends, leaving him in the stands all by himself for the rest of the night. There was not a thank you for the food. There was not a thank you for the basketball ticket. There was not even a happy birthday. They just said, we're going to sit with our friends, and they left without looking back. Now, Whitney tells this story in the book, not to, not to gain sympathy from his readers, but he, but he tells this story to make a point. He says, this is the way we often treat God when we gather together for worship. Notice this quote here by Donald Whitney from his book. He says, this is the way we often treat God in worship. Though we come to an event where he is to be the guest of honor, it is possible to give him a routine gift, sing a few customary songs to him, and then totally neglect him. Like my 10-year-old friends, we may leave without a twinge of conscience, without any awareness of our insensitivity, convinced that we have fulfilled an obligation. Man, isn't that true? I mean, many of us, we do this without thinking weekend week out we gather together here for this event where god is to be the guest of honor and though we may you know give some lip service to him in prayer though we may sing a few customary songs and maybe even give a monetary gift he is often the furthest thing from our minds but we don't realize that do we we leave sunday after sunday thinking We've kept up our end of the bargain. We've done what's, what's required of us. We've fulfilled our obligation. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 this morning, continuing our series through Ecclesiastes entitled Lessons Learned Under the Sun. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 this morning. And in this text, Solomon once again is shifting gears. He's changing perspectives. Remember, Solomon 
is, is looking at life from two different perspectives in this book. At times, and mo- most of the time, he's looking at life under the sun. He's giving a horizontal, limited perspective of life with God removed. And then at times, he gives an above-the-sun perspective, which is a vertical perspective very much with with God involved, with God in the mix. And today, he is shifting from an under-the-sun perspective back to an above-the-sun perspective. Last week, Solomon talked about what our conduct is to be in our place of work. And in this passage this morning, Solomon more importantly talks about what our conduct is to be in our place of worship. So this morning, we're going to look to Solomon to help us make sense of worship. Here's the first principle. To worship God effectively, we must approach Him properly. To worship God effectively, we must approach Him properly. Properly. Let's look at verse 1 through verse 3 of chapter 5. Solomon says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. So in these first few verses, Solomon is telling us how to prepare for and participate in worship. First, he shows us how to prepare for worship. He says we are to prepare with careful steps. With careful steps. Solomon says, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Now we've heard this phrase Guard your steps in a lot of in a, in a, a lot of times in our in our world, haven't we? I mean, when you're getting off the bus, kids, if you ride the bus, the bus driver will say, "Watch your step as you go out." If you're getting off an airplane, at times the 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 uh, flight attendant will be there and they'll tell you when you go out, "Thanks for flying. Watch your step when you leave. Have a nice day." And what that means is, proceed with caution. Proceed with caution. How many of you have ever heard your parents say this to you growing up? Anybody ever say something to your parents that you shouldn't have? Well, I did that a lot. And there were times when I would say something, I would smart off to my parents, and my parents would tell me, you better watch your step. You better watch your mouth. And this was to warn me, if I didn't watch it, I was going to be in trouble. You see, my parents didn't want me to approach them carelessly, just flippantly, on my own terms. They wanted me to approach them as a child under their authority. And guess what? God wants the same thing. He does. Solomon says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Don't don't come to God on your own terms. Don't come to God just flippantly and, and carelessly Whatever way you see fit, approach him as a child under his authority. Listen to what Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 28. Let us offer to God 
acceptable worship. Now, what is acceptable worship? He goes on to answer it. Reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is God's message to us, not only here, but throughout the Bible. When you come into my presence, you are to come on my terms. In what way I say is appropriate. As a child under my authority. You are to direct your focus toward me. You are to worship me. Stand in awe of me. Revere me. When we gather here on Sunday mornings, we are to gather here for him. We are to be directing our focus to him. He is the guest of honor here. He shouldn't be the furthest thing from our minds. He should be at the forefront of our minds, shouldn't he? The main reason we gather here Sunday after Sunday is for the purpose of worship, to worship God. Is that the reason you're here this morning? Is that the reason you got up and got ready is to come to worship God? That's the reason we're here. And this should not only be your attitude here when you walk through those doors. It should be your attitude wherever you go throughout the week. Worship is not just a corporate thing, it's a private thing. It's not just a Sunday thing, it's a Monday through Saturday thing. Guarding your steps is not just what you do when you walk through those doors, it's what you do when you go out into the world, when you leave this place. You're to be guarding your steps. But even though Scripture tells us that, we're doing the opposite often, aren't we? When we leave here, Day after day, we often repeat the very sin of Adam. What was Adam's sin? Choosing to go at life on his own without God. And we do that. We choose to reject God's rule and his reign in our life day after day and, and live life on our own. God wants us to do the opposite. God wants us to, to live as children under his authority, guided and directed by him. That's what it means to guard your steps. Let me ask you this morning this question. Is that true of you? Is who you are here on Sunday morning the same person you are Monday through Saturday? Are you a true worshiper of God, not just here, but, but, but throughout the week? And if not, let me ask you this. Who do you think you're fooling? When I was in eighth grade, I started playing the guitar. And uh, for a gift, my parents bought me guitar lessons. And I was so excited. I was going to go once a week for guitar. And I just thought, that's how naive I was. I just thought going once a week was just going to guarantee me that I was going to be the next Eric Clapton or Santana or whoever. You know, I just thought that, that, that was... You know, just going once a week was going to do it. Well, when I got there the first week, he had a textbook for me and gave it to me. And I had some stuff that I needed to be reading, and we were playing, doing scales and stuff like that. And, and then he sent me away with a ton of homework. And I was like, well, that stunk, you know. That wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And so I went home, and I worked hard, and I studied. No. No, no, no. I didn't do much of any homework. 
the whole week. And I came in the next meeting, and you, you know he, he probably had dealt with this hundreds of times before. He says, let's see how hard you worked this week. He began asking me questions. He began to have me play some, some scales and different things like that, and I failed miserably. I mean, I did. I couldn't fake it with him. Though I might have been able to convince a few friends and family who didn't play the guitar, you know, that I was, I was doing a good job, he was the expert. He knew. He knew. There was no faking it with him. And listen, same is true for us spiritually. You may can fool me or, or some of your friends and family, but there's no faking it with God. God knows. His, your, your ways are always seen, always known, always obvious to him. He was not confined to a temple 3,000 years ago, and guess what? He's not confined to a church building today. Therefore, we need to guard our steps. We need to guard our steps. We need to live as children under God's authority, guided and directed by Him. That's how to prepare for worship. What about participate in worship? Solomon says, proper way to participate in worship is with open hearts and closed mouths. With open hearts and closed mouths. Look at verse 1 through verse 3 with me. Solomon says, To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, but a fool's voice with many words. In verses 1 through 3, Solomon says something here that's counter to the way many of us think when it comes to worship. He says the key to worship is quiet. It's attentiveness. Now, many people think, well, I thought worship was all about me singing to God, me shouting to Him. I thought worship was all about what I say to God and what I say about Him. Solomon says here, true God-honoring worship takes place when our hearts are open and our mouths are closed. Solomon says here, worship is just as much about what God says to you as it is about what you say to God. There are some of you here this morning worshiping God right now. You may not think you are, but you are. You know why? Because you're being attentive. You are drawing near to God with an open heart, open and ready to receive and apply God's message. That's worship. That's worship. Solomon goes on to say that those who are simply going through the motions... Those who are here but are not drawing near to God with open hearts and, open, uh, and, and closed mouths, those who are not openly ready to receive and apply God's word, Solomon says those people are offering what he calls the sacrifice of fools. Let me explain what that is. Many in our churches today, here and in, in, in everywhere, are offering what are call, what's called the sacrifice of fools, week in and week out. Because these people, they get up, they go to church, Sunday after Sunday. They may sing a few customary songs. They may 
bow their head and give lip service to God in prayer. They may even give a, a monetary gift. But, but when it comes time to draw near with an open heart to receive God's word, these people, their, their hearts are closed. And you know what happens? They leave church Sunday after Sunday unchanged. They do. This happens here and everywhere every Sunday. Many simply think, many simply think just coming to church and, and, and just, just giving lip service to God and, and writing a check at the end is, is going to cut it. But if you're not drawing near, if you're not listening, if you're not being attentive, if you're not open and ready to receive God's word, it doesn't matter. The other stuff doesn't matter. It's the sacrifice of fools. God wants much, much more than your words. He wants much, much more than what's in your bank account. He wants much, much more than just a song. Like we sang earlier, the heart of worship, that's a great song. I'll give you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. God requires so much more than a song. He wants you. He wants you to come to Him, to draw near to Him with open hearts and closed mouths, ready to receive and apply His Word. Now this is challenging for us, isn't it? Let's be honest. Often it's challenging for us to have an open heart because often, too often, we come to God with open mouths. One thing I'm still learning after almost eight years of marriage is that I don't hear my wife and what she's saying to me when my mouth is open to when I'm trying to say my you know give my side if we're both talking to one another at the same time we don't communicate with one another and many of us we're experiencing that in our spiritual lives we enter into the presence of God we are we are entering into his presence with our mouths open giving what what we think our own opinions our own words to him, and, and it's a one-way conversation that we're having. Solomon says in verse 3, a, a fool is known by his many words. In other words, the, the foolish are those who enter into the presence of God with their gums flapping. So what Solomon's getting at here, those who fill all that time with their own opinions and own insights. Look at Solomon's humbling statement at the end of verse 2. He basically calls for us to remember who God is and who we are. He says, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. In other words, God is in heaven, you are on earth, be quiet. Get before God with an open heart and with a closed mouth. This is a good reality check for us, isn't it? Because... We, we need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded that God is infinitely greater than any thought of us. What we say to Him is not near as important as what He has to say to us. So we need to just get quiet before God. You want to worship God in a true, God-honoring way. Get quiet before the Lord. Open His Word with this attitude. God, I'm coming to Your Word this morning to hear what you have to say. If there is anything in my life, 
Anything in my thinking that's out of step with you, God, show me in your word and change me. And then get quiet and study the scriptures. I tell you, if you do that, your life is going to change in a big way. In a big way. Some of the most knowledgeable people I know of the scriptures are those who openly admit that they don't know certain things, who are always asking questions and who know how to get quiet before the Lord and receive a word from Him. Two guys I really admire in, uh, in uh, the Christian faith and the, in Christianity today are R.C. Sproul and uh, John MacArthur. I have books, bookshelves filled with their books, computer filled with their commentaries. I just, I, I really respect these guys. And uh, they're friends, and recently in an interview... R.C. Sproul was talking about John MacArthur. And listen to what he said about him. He said, though we don't agree on everything, I have never met a man who examines himself more closely to the Word of God than he does. He said, I have known him to be shown something in the Scriptures recently and completely change his view on a certain thing because he, he was shown it in the Word of God. Wow. I mean, this guy has, has published more Christian material than, more, than most alive today. He has almost written an entire New Testament commentary. If he still sees a need for himself to get before God with an open heart and a closed mouth, how much more so do we need to be doing that? So to worship God effectively, we must approach Him properly with careful steps, open hearts, and closed mouths. Number two, to worship God effectively, we must take Him seriously. Look at verse 4. Actually, verses 4 through 7 here we're going to look at. Solomon is going to explain to us here that for, our, for us to worship God in a God-honoring way, we need to take Him seriously. By, by keeping our commitments we make to Him and by having a right view of who God is. Number one, we need to keep our promises to Him. We need to keep our promises to Him. Verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. Solomon here is talking about our response after meeting with God. Our response after meeting with Him for a time for worship. And, and, and many times, after having just a wonderful time of worship, or, or maybe if you go on a, a women's retreat or a men's retreat or, or youth, you go to youth camp and you just have a great time. You know what we have a tendency to do? We have a tendency to make promises to God, don't we? Those of y'all who grew up in the church, you remember going to your first uh, youth retreat or going to church camp. You remember normally on the last night, they have this, this time for you to respond to, to what's been taught for the, for the week. And uh, I remember being a, a camp counselor, and I mean, I would come across kids, they're ready to tackle the world. I mean, they were committed to never sin again. They were on fire. And then you know what happened with, with a lot of them. They go home. They fall back into their old habits. They fail to keep those commitments they made on that weekend. 
and they go on and, and not think twice about it. And many of us, we still do that today, don't we? We make commitments all the time that we do not keep. How many times have we told God, God, I, I promise to pursue you with all that I am. I, I commit myself to you, to grow in my knowledge of you through your word. God, I promise to be a man or woman of purity, a man or woman of integrity. How many times have we made those commitments to God? And how many times have we failed to keep those promises that we've made? A lot, right? Some of you are probably here thinking about those times and you feel pretty heavy-hearted about all those commitments that you've made that you haven't kept me to. And I wish I could make you happy this morning. I wish I could tell you, ah, don't worry about it. I wish I could tell you, it's not a big deal. Forget about it. But I can't. It is a big deal. God says, worry about it. Because you've made these promises and you've made these commitments to me. Some of you are thinking, well, what am I supposed to do? I mean, I've made commitments, so many promises with my lips that my body hasn't cashed. What am I to do? Seek forgiveness. It's all we can do for those that have already passed, for those commitments you've already broken. Seek forgiveness from God and respond differently in the future. And Solomon shows us how to do that in verses 5 through 6. Look at this real quickly. He said, it's better that you should not vow a vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth not lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Now know that Solomon's not saying here we should never commit to God because we have a chance of breaking it. Some people reason in that way. Well, I'm not going to make any commitments to God, so therefore I won't break any and get in trouble. That's not what Solomon's point here is. His point here is this. We need to choose our words carefully. We need to count the cost. And we need to make sure we keep the commitments that we make to God. Because if not, it would have been better had we not made them to begin with. Didn't Jesus call us to count the cost? He did. He sure did. John 6 Jesus preaches a very non-seeker-friendly message. And many people begin to leave. And does Jesus then say, oh, no, 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 let me, let me change that. Let me make it a little more pleasing to the ear. No, he lets them go, doesn't he? Then he turns to his disciples, you remember? He's like, you guys going? And I'm sure Peter was thinking in the back of his mind, that's hard, what, what he just said, I know. It's a challenging text, a, a challenging lesson that, that Jesus has just given. But you remember Peter's words? He said, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. But Jesus calls us to count the cost. Why? Because God takes commitments you make before him and to him seriously. And he holds us accountable in a big way. Look at what Solomon says at the end of verse 6. He says, if we don't keep our promises to God, God will destroy the works of our hands. Now, now commentators are uncertain on what the actual form of punishment 
is that, that, that Solomon's mentioning here, but it seems as if Solomon's saying that if we don't keep our promises to God, what's going to result is God frustrating the work that we do. And in light of the book of Ecclesiastes, what I think that means is this. If you commit yourself to God, and then in turn you go out and you pursue the things of this world, and you pursue happiness under the sun through, through work and through money and through success, then, then what's going to happen as a result is God is not going to allow you to have rest and fulfillment in that. And we know that to be the case, don't we? I mean, he's not going to let you enjoy your life without him. Instead, he's going to make a mess of the work of our hands. So we need to keep our promises to God. Number two, how to worship God in a God-honoring way? We do it by standing in awe of him. Verse 7 says this, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Basically, Solomon's saying this, instead of offering empty promises which are, which are foolish, instead you need to have a profound respect for God. You need to revere Him. You need to stand in awe of Him. I believe one of the main reasons we don't take the commitments we make to God very seriously is because we don't honor Him like we should. And the reason we don't honor Him like we should is that we don't think rightly about Him. Our view of God is way, way too low. In our equipping class, we've been discussing what we believe about the Christian faith. And if you haven't come yet, I encourage you to come. We're going to meet again at the middle of May on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And uh, basically what we've been discussing is the fact that theology is necessary. Now, some people, when they hear the word theology, they just tune out. They're like, man, that's, you know... That's just theoretical nonsense. There's no reason to be discussing that. Well, we've been talking about the fact that theology is extremely practical. And the reason why is because the way we think necessarily influences the way we live. It doesn't get any more practical than that. Right thinking leads to right living. If you don't think rightly about God, you're not going to live rightly for Him. That's, that's just the bottom line. If we have a low view of God, we're not going to take commitments we make to Him very seriously, are we? In fact, we're not going to do any of these things. We're not going to guard our steps. We're not going to approach God with, with open hearts and closed mouths. We're not going to think of Him as being infinitely greater than us and therefore be, be silenced in response to that. We're not. Not if we have a low view of God. Solomon says, instead of offering empty worship and empty promises to a small God, stand in awe of, be astounded by, be amazed at, be captivated by, have a profound respect for the God of the Scriptures. This view leads to God-honoring worship. Let me end by saying this. In the first several chapters of this book, Solomon has talked about the fact that the things of this world, the things that we cherish and often make time for, they are hevel. And that's the Hebrew word that means a whole bunch of things. It means useless, pointless, empty, aimless, futile, fleeting. It means all of those things. And the reason why these things are, are meaningless is because they don't last. These things come to an end, and yet we spend the majority of our time 
the majority of our energy thinking about and participating in these temporal, earthly, short-lived activities. They consume our time, and they flood our thoughts. The reason why it's important to think about what worship is and how we should approach God in, in worship properly. The reason is because worship is what we were made for. That's what you and I were created to do. And you know what? It's the one thing we're going to be doing forever. So doesn't it make sense that we need to make worship a priority in our lives? We need to be thinking about what it is and thinking about and, 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 and doing what is, what is honoring and glorifying to God. I pray this morning for you that, that you would learn to approach God properly with careful steps, open hearts, and closed mouths. And I also pray that you would take God seriously by standing in awe of Him and by keeping the commitments you make to Him. Now, there may be some of you here this morning thinking to yourself, you know what, my, my issue is not that I'm, I'm not approaching God properly or, or taking Him seriously. I mean, I, my issue is I'm not worshiping God at all. Maybe you've never approached God and taken Him seriously because you don't know Him personally. If that's the case this morning, I'm going to ask you to make a serious commitment this morning that you plan on keeping. A commitment that will change the course of your life in a good way and in a God-honoring way. Scripture is clear like we've talked about already. God has created us for Himself. But here's the problem. We've rejected His rule and His reign in our life, and we've chosen to go at life on our own. And as a result of that sin, we have been separated from God. But here's the great news. God in His great love, showed His love for us by reaching out to us again in the person of Jesus Christ. God loved us so much that He sent His Son, and His Son went willingly to earth for us, to be for us what we cannot be, perfect inside and out, and to, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, make us right with God. If you're here this morning and you're not worshiping God because you don't know Him in a personal way, I invite you this morning to turn from your sins and trust in Christ alone for your salvation. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for cherishing things under the sun, those things that are temporal and fleeting and short-lived. Forgive us, God, that we have spent the majority of our time and our energy thinking about these things. They have consumed our time. They've flooded our thoughts. Forgive us, God. God, forgive us for not making worship a priority. Forgive us, Father, for coming here week in, week out and thinking that we've given you enough by giving you a song by giving you a prayer, by giving you a check. Father, show us this morning that you want so much more than that. Show us this morning that worship is what we're made for. It's what we're created to do. Father, help us take worship 
seriously. May our lives be changed from this day forward. I also pray, Father, if there's someone here this morning who's never approached you, who's never taken you seriously because they don't know you in a personal way, Father, I pray that you would do a great work in their heart and life this morning. Father, I pray they'd come to know you in a personal way. And I I, I pray that they would turn from their sins and turn toward you and begin today doing what they were made to do, and that's worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.